Well, good morning to all of you this morning as we gather to worship our gods to get our God together. If you're visiting with us, we're delighted to have you among us. And if you haven't done so, please sign our guest book before leaving this morning. Special welcome to the mothers. We wish you a happy Mother's Day. We honor you. We lift you up uh, because of the important role that you play in our culture and in our society. So happy Mother's Day uh, to each one of you. Uh, the announcements are there on the back of your bulletins. One announcement that is not there, perhaps you noticed there's something different in the auditorium this morning. Maybe some of you say, what's that? I didn't notice. Well, there's a library back there in the back corner. That library's been here forever. It's just been hidden back here. And the fire department thought it ought to be more visible, so they asked us to bring it out of that room and put it out. Um, some fire code violation, I don't know. But anyway, there it is. Um, it's a small library, but if you're looking for a certain study, maybe there's something back there that you could use. Uh, most, of the car, most of the books have a card in them, so if you do take them, check it out. I think there's a little brown box there. If someone would desire to oversee that, that would also be appreciated. And I'll say, if you want to oversee that, speak to one of your deacons, <laughs> and uh, that way we, can, we want to keep track of the books. I know what it is to loan out a book and then not see it again. It's my fault. I don't keep track of it. But if, I mean, if you do pick up a book out of your shelf and it's got my name in it, feel free to return that as well. But <laughs> anyway, we want to keep track of those things. So uh, that's back there. So just to make mention of that. Uh, today is the beginning of the fundraiser for the Care Pregnancy Center. They have their annual baby bottle drive. The baby bottles are back there. Pick up one or two. There's plenty back there. The idea is between now and Father's Day to fill it up with either coins or dollar bills, or you could write a check and put it in there. We'll be collecting them on Father's Day, and then that will all go to the Care Pregnancy Center here in town. Um, but if you do take a bottle, keep track of it. Bring it back. Uh, we will get charged if we don't take and give all the bottles back. So um, don't take it home and then forget about it, but do bring it back. So keep that in mind. Uh, the rest of the announcements are pretty much explanatory. I would mention there's another singles high school retreat uh, going on conference. This one's in North Carolina. It seems like the high school singles crowd has conferences and retreats all over. One will be in Seattle. I think that's Labor Day. This one's Memorial Day in North Carolina. If you have an interest in that, uh, information is there in your bulletin. And then we also rejoice with those that rejoice, and we're thankful for the new granddaughter uh, of Lisa and Wade Perry. It's hard to believe. I mean, I, I was there not long after Natalie was born, and now Natalie's having a child. That's how old I'm getting. So we rejoice with them and thank God uh, for this new little one that has come into the world. Well, that's all the announcements. Now as we give ourselves to the worship of our God, I would simply remind you of the promise God gives in Jeremiah 24 and verse 7. He says, I will give them a heart to know me. This is the work of God. Left to ourselves, our hearts are hard. But God says, I'll give them a heart to know me. And may that be our desire 
to know him better. So you take a moment just to prepare your hearts to worship God. Our call to worship inside your bulletin is a responsive reading from Hebrews chapter 8. It's a, the writer of Hebrews is now here rehearsing again the new covenant that's been promised in Jeremiah 31, that he will be their God and they will be his people. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship? For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. I will be merciful to their iniquities. What a wonderful covenant that God makes with his people. Now take your hymns of grace and turn with me to hymn number 40. Hymn number 40, I'm not sure if we've sung this before or not. I think it's a fairly simple song, but a good song. So I'm going to ask Rachel to play all the way through it once, and then we shall sing it together. Number 40, hymns of grace. Let the earth resound.
Father in heaven, we thank you for your loving kindness to us, that you've allowed us to gather again this Lord's Day morning as a local assembly of believers in our Lord Jesus. And we are gathered here before you in his name, because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and because he has become the chief cornerstone on which our faith and everything about us rests, and because he is seated at your right hand while you make all his enemies a footstool for his feet. And so, Father, because you have given us life and forgiveness in Christ, we pray that you will be pleased to be with us and that our praise and adoration would be acceptable in your sight in this service of worship. May it all be honoring and glorifying to you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we'll go from a hymn that perhaps wasn't all that familiar to one that is very familiar in the Trinity, Trinity Hymn 402, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saves a Wretch Like Me, 402 in the Trinity Hymn Book.
Our consecutive reading this morning is Luke chapter 20, Luke chapter 20, and it's fairly long, so I'll only make one comment, and that's to call our attention again how often the Lord Jesus quotes the Old Testament. We've heard in recent years how some so-called preachers have said that we need to, quote, unhitch from the Old Testament. But the Lord Jesus' viewpoint is that the Old Testament is the inspired Word of God, and when that's the view of the one who was crucified, died, and buried, and was rose again from the dead the third day, we who are his should have that view as well. So Luke chapter 20, hear now the word of the living and true God. On one of the days while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders confronted him, and they spoke, saying to him, Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, or who is the one who gave you this authority? Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you a question, and you tell me. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered, They did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send another slave, and they beat him also, and treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send a third, and this one also they wounded and cast out. The owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son, perhaps they will respect him. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, This is the heir, let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. When they heard it, they said, May it never be. But Jesus looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. The scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour, and they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so they could deliver him to the rule and the authority of the governor. They questioned him, saying, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly, and you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he detected their trickery and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people, and being amazed at his answer, they became silent. 
Now there came to him some of the Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection, and they questioned him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, and he is childless, his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother. Now there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died childless, and the second and the third married her, and in the same way all seven died, leaving no children. Finally the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had married her. Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot even die anymore because they are like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they did not have courage to question him any longer about anything. And then he said to them, How is it that they say the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore David calls him Lord, and how is he his son? And while all the people were listening, he said to the disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. As we seek our God again together in prayer, we especially want to pray for the Perkins. We pray as they are even now here in the States and will be soon having, I believe, is their third child and um, receiving some counsel, hoping to go back on the field in Asia Pacific either late summer or early fall. So let's pray for them particularly this morning. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, again we give you thanks for your care and your love for us and the demonstration of that love in your willingness to send your Son, your one and only Son, into the world that he might redeem a people for himself. We thank you that through the work of Jesus Christ that we can know you, that, that we can have a relationship with you. And that you tell us that I will be their God and they will be my people. And so, Father, we have much to give thanks for this morning. But most importantly, for that great salvation that you provide us through your Son, Jesus Christ, who alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, we are thankful this morning for other things. We're thankful for the mothers. We thank you for their care and the important role they play in our homes and in our families. And Father, we pray that in this place they would be lifted up as we live in a culture and in a society that often puts down the role of a mother. How we give you thanks for them. And Father, we pray that you would bless them and help them 
to diligently seek to bring their children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Help us as husbands to come along beside them. And Father, that together we would be homes and families that love you and desire to please you above everything else. Father, we pray as well this morning and give you thanks for answers to prayer in bringing Amelia into the world. And we pray, Father, that you would be with Natalie and Joel, uh, Joe as they bring her up. We thank you for their protection, Natalie's protection in the midst of, no doubt, a difficult labor. But Father, we pray that their daughter may grow in the things of God and at a young age be a delight to them as she comes to know you as Lord and Savior. Be with Wade and Lisa and Quentin even as their influence in, in her life. But Father, we do rejoice with those that rejoice this morning. We pray for the Perkins and pray, Father, that you would draw near to them. We pray that Abigail's pregnancy would continue to go well. That, Father, both mother and child will do well through the labor and delivery. We pray, Father, that you would surround them with wise counselors, even with regard to various issues that they're dealing with in their own family and marriage. And that, Father, they would take heed to the counsel that's given to them. We pray that they've made good progress and would be able to go back on the field. But as your will is done, may their desire to be to glorify and to honor you. Again, we would ask that you would draw near to us as we come to look into the Word of God. May the Spirit of God give us ears to hear. May Father help us to give attention. May our, may our hearts be prepared to receive the seed of the Word of God that it might grow and through that bring glory and honor to you. For we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. And now again, take your Trinity hymn books and turn to Numbers 27. <clears throat> Number 27 in the Trinity hymn book, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Number 27.
may be seated. Deuteronomy chapter 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29. While you're turning there, there, I do want to make a couple of other announcements that I neglected to mention. It's in your bulletin. One is, and ladies' Bible study is this Saturday at 9. Don't forget that. And the deacons are going to be meeting at 7 o'clock on Saturday. So deacons, don't forget that. All right. I think I've fulfilled my duty now. Deuteronomy chapter 29. Let me read one verse to you, a verse that we won't get to this morning, but a verse that's probably familiar to most of us. Deuteronomy 29 in verse 29 says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belongs to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. When we come to Deuteronomy chapter 29, we come to what many believe is the third message of the book of Deuteronomy. It's, it's referred to as Moses' third message given to the children of Israel as they're about ready to go into the promised land. You must realize that most of those people that Moses is now speaking to were under the age of 20 when they left Egypt or they were born in the wilderness. So this is another generation, we would say, than those who left Egypt out of bondage. They're about ready to enter that land that was promised to their forefathers so many, many years earlier. That generation was marked by unbelief and disobedience. It's why they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. And now Moses, talking to their children or grandchildren, does not want them to be marked by the same thing. He does not want to see them live in disobedience or in unbelief. And he's concerned about that. And therefore, as we have seen in previous weeks, Moses has taken time to speak about the blessings that will be theirs if they obey, but also the curses that will follow disobedience. You might recall in chapter 28 in verse 2, Moses says, These blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. But he also says in chapter 28 and verse 15, If you do not obey the Lord your God to observe, to do all His commandments and His statutes, which I have charged you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. So Moses' desire was that this generation would learn from previous generations and trust, love, serve, and obey Yahweh, their God. So Moses, again, addresses that same concern in this final part 
of his message to the children of Israel. Verse 1 says, These are the words of the covenant which the Lord God commanded Moses to make with the sons of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he had made within in, he, in, in Horeb. So he says, what, he's, what he is saying to this second generation or third generation is, I want to call you to renew your covenant with God. I want to call you to be a people who renew their commitment to Yahweh. Perhaps you have known people who celebrate their... And this is not an idea I want to give my wife, but they might, after 35, 40, 45, 50 years, they might renew their vows together. They might stand before people again and look at one another and commit themselves to each other once again. The reason I don't want to do that is because we memorized our vows and I don't know that I remember, I remember what they, the principles were in the vows, uh, but I'm not sure I can recite them for you this morning. But anyway, there's that renewal of commitment to one another and love toward each other. And, and Moses is calling these people to renew that commitment to Yahweh. To love Him and serve Him and obey Him. That covenant, which is first, look over to Exodus chapter 19. Let us be reminded there at Mount Sinai, the covenant that was made between God and His people. Exodus, <clears throat> Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5. And now then, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. Here's the covenant. You obey me, and you will be my treasured people. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And now as they're about ready to enter into the promised land, Moses calls upon them to renew that commitment. That yes, we will obey our God, and in doing so, He will be our God. Moses has taken time to review the commandments of God. To explain them and apply them. And now this is his final call for the people of Israel to love and obey Yahweh their God. If they do, what? Blessings. Prosperity. If they don't, curses. And so this morning we come and we'll begin looking at Deuteronomy 29, which we can divide up into three parts, and we'll look at the first two this morning. I mean, the first part, he, he reviews past faithfulness. And the second, he, he calls them to present obedience. And then finally, he warns them against future idolatry. 
So we have a, a, a past reminder, a, a present commitment to obedience, and a future warning against idolatry. But let's take up the first two. So first of all, there's a review of past faithfulness of Yahweh. A review of past faithfulness of Yahweh. Oh Moses, haven't you already reviewed God's faithfulness? Yes, he has. Why are we going over it again? Well, we were reminded in Sunday school because we have a tendency to forget. We have a tendency to forget the goodness and faithfulness of God. So Moses begins this, this section of his message with a review of how faithful Yahweh has been to them in the past. One is written, Moses loved to tell the old, old story of Israel and her Lord. And so he sets before them a, a, a short review. And then in the midst of that, he, he gives a, a sobering reproof. And, and then that's followed by a more specific, specific details of what God has done, uh, a, a specific reminder. So let's read, the, starting in verse 2 and read through verse 9. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his servants, and to his land. The great trial which your eyes have seen and those great signs and wonders. Yet to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. For I have led you forty years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn out on your foot. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or strong drink in order that you might know that I am the Lord your God. And when you reach this place, Cylon and the king of Hashbon and Og the king of Basham came out to meet us for battle, but we defeated them. And we took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So keep the word of this covenant to do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. So here Moses begins by this review of God's faithfulness. In verses 2 and 3 he gives them a simple review. He says to them in these verses, you have seen, your eyes have seen what the Lord has done before you with regard to Pharaoh, with regard to his servants, with regard to the great trials that you experience. You have seen all that the Lord has done before your eyes. You've seen the amazing things that, that God did there in Egypt. 
to all the people into the land. You remember the frogs, don't you? Can you imagine? I mean, this is, this is a generation that was fairly young or just born in the wilderness. But I would imagine they heard about the frogs sitting there around the campfire. You know how you begin to reminisce when you're with family members? And someone says, ah, did I ever tell you the story about the frogs? No, no, Daddy, no, tell us the story about the frogs while we were in Egypt. And, and then he begins to explain how God covered the land with frogs. Do you remember, remember the flies? You mean there were not only frogs, there were flies? Yes. Flies as well. Remember how the cattle died? Remember the hailstorm? I mean, are you talking about frogs and flies? There were also locusts. Wow. All these things God brought upon Egypt because you were held in bondage there and, and were mistreated? Yes. Oh, do you remember that? Do you remember that night when we heard all the wailing? Because the firstborn in every family whose doorpost did not have the blood over it, the firstborn son of every family died. Jimmy, you remember that, don't you? I mean, you were only like you know, two or three, but do you remember that night? Sally, you weren't there, but, but man, do you... You remember hearing about that? And what God did? How God was there watching over us? And do you remember, remember the trials that we went through? Remember when we left Egypt? And we were on our way. Pharaoh allowed us to go. And we turned around and in his chariots and his army was coming after us. And, and before us there was this sea. And we thought we were doomed. Why did God have us leave Egypt only to kill us here? Because we either going to drown or we're going to be killed. What's going to happen? And God miraculously divided the Red Sea. And, and we walked across on dry ground and we got to the other side and, and we turned around and as Pharaoh's army comes after us the sea closes up and the men drown and Moses sings a song about a horse and rider he's thrown into the sea God has been so faithful to us and caring for us he's done many signs and wonders before our eyes. We, we have seen these things. We've experienced the goodness and the faithfulness of Almighty God. But then Moses says this, verse 4, Yet to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to know, or even eyes to see or ears to hear. Wait a minute. That sounds contradictory. Did you not just say that your eyes have seen these things? And now you're saying, 
He hasn't given you a heart to see and understand these things. You see, it's a reminder that, that while we can have certain experiences and we can know the goodness of God and have experienced the goodness of God, yet if we don't have a heart that's towards God, it really doesn't make a difference in our lives. They saw all this. They could tell the stories. They ex- experienced it, some of them. And yet it didn't have an impact upon their lives. And in reality, while they knew of God, and they experienced the faithfulness and goodness of God, they did not truly know God. And the same is with us today. Some of us can speak about the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. We, we, we can listen to Micah as he expounds to us the attributes of God. And, and most of us would say, Amen, these things are true. This is the God of the Bible and yet still not have a relationship with that God. We might even honor Him with our lips, but our hearts are far from Him. What a a sobering rebuke. You have eyes, but you fail to see. There's a failure to believe and obey that comes from a spiritual blindness and a dullness. There's a failure to recognize how much Jehovah has done for them. John Calvin says this, By reproving the dullness of the past, He would stimulate them to a desire to understand. Just as if he had said that for a long time they had been insensible to so so miracles. And therefore they ought not to delay any longer. But to arouse themselves to hearken better unto God. They had become dull, they had seen, they had experienced, but they did not obey. And John Calvin says this reminder ought to arouse them to hearken better unto God, to know Him better, to to seek after Him with all their hearts. So so we have this short review, we we have this sobering Rebuke, and then finally, in verses five through nine, he gives them a specific reminder. He he gets down to details. God reminds his hearers what they saw him do for them in the wilderness. And in verses five through nine, they're reminded that it's God who has provided for them. It is God who has protected them. It is God who who has given them property and possessions. 
This is God's doing. He, he's provided you with clothes and shoes that did not wear out. Can you imagine? Forty years walking in the desert, and they never had to stop at a Kinney shoe store. I'm dating myself now. Some of you are like, what's a Kinney shoe store? But when I was growing up, man, we needed new shoes. Went to Kinney shoe store. Got new shoes. I think I've told you I can go through socks in a matter of weeks. Forty years, and, and their clothes never wear out. Their shoes never wear out. When they're in the wilderness, they, they have all the necessities that they need. God was providing that for them. He says here, You have not eaten bread, or drunk wine, or strong drink. What, he, what he's reminding them is, I have provided you manna from heaven. I, I've given you every meal you've needed as you've walked around in the wilderness. And I've given you water. In fact, I've given you water from a rock. This is what I've provided for you. And when the enemy came up against us in battle, we weren't soldiers. We, we weren't a fine military group. But God gave you victory over your enemies. And He's given you possessions. He's, he's provided you with land. And He's given you victory over some pretty tough competition. Sidon, Og, had trained soldiers. And yet... God gave them victory. They've seen the power of God even before they crossed the Jordan. And on the west side of the Jordan, they've experienced God's power, His help in defeating the enemy. And these victories didn't come through Israel's own strength. God gave them these pieces of land. They've tasted God's blessing. God did this. Why? That they might know I am the Lord your God. That you might know that I'm Yahweh. And that hearing and seeing and experiencing the goodness and the power and the faithfulness of God, you might respond as you ought. Now, if we stopped right there, and they've been reminded of all God's done for them. How, how He showed His power there in Egypt. How He provided them there in the wilderness, even though they were disobedient. He, he's provided them with food and clothing. He, he's given them victory over military leaders. Look at all that God has done. Now what do you think their response would be? I would imagine they would break out, To God be the glory, great things He hath done. And that's what Moses wants them to do. He wants them... Aren't you glad I don't sing for a living? He wants them... 
Because I saw some of you smiling. He, he, he wants them to be obedient and love and serve Yahweh. Do they? Well, you may not know if you miss Sunday school. And I'm not going to give it away if you miss Sunday school. All right? But that's his desire. He shares with them the past faithfulness and goodness of God that they might respond correctly. And then in verses 19, verse 9 through verse 13, Moses calls them to respond with present obedience. Let's read those verses. Verse 9, So keep the words of the covenant to do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. You stand to, today, all of you, before the Lord your God, your chiefs, your tribes, your elders, your officers, even all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, your alien, who are who is within your camp, from the one who chops your wood to do the one who draws the water, that you may enter into covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath which the Lord your God is making with you today in order that he may establish you today as his people and that he may be your God just as he spoke to you and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In light of the reminder of God's goodness and His power and His faithfulness, Israel is called for one simple commitment to obey the Lord their God. Kyle in his commentators, commentary says this, These benefits from the Lord demand obedience and fidelity. These benefits demand obedience and fidelity. Keep, guard, obey the Word of God that you may prosper and be successful in everything you do. This is not just some historical trip down memory lane. It's, it's a reminder in order to cause them to respond with obedience and love and service to Almighty God. Now notice a couple things here in these verses that I've read in your hearing. Notice the recipients... The recipients in verses 10 and 11. Those standing here, renewing their commitment to obey God, are addressed. And you notice in this list in verses 10 and 11, that those of, of God's people who He's speaking to, it's, it's included all of them. They're all to be. There's, there's some nine different groups of individuals that are mentioned here. The heads and the chiefs, all tribes, the elders, the officers, the men of Israel, the little children, all the wives, all the aliens, the visitors, the strangers, all the workers 
From the one who chops wood to the one who draws water. He, he's speaking to them universally. To all of them. God wants them all to hear this. And so the point we want to make here is that we see that there's no subdivision of people when it came to taking seriously the commandments of God. It includes them all. It's not just to the elders. It's all the people. All the men. All the women. All the children. Everyone gathered to hear Moses expound the Word of God. There to be obedient. And there to renew their commitment to God. It didn't matter of one's status politically or even religiously. They were all to hear and obey the Word of God. So those are the recipients. Then notice the climax. Verse 12 that you may enter into a covenant with the Lord your God and into His oath which the Lord your God is making with you today, that you might enter into this agreement, this promise. I, I will be your God and you will be My people. If you obey Me, then this is what will happen. Regardless of your age, regardless of your status in life, you enter into this covenant and you be obedient and you will know of God's blessing. We'll have a covenant together. And then we come to verse 13, which is the purpose for all this. In order, <coughs> excuse me, in order that we may establish you today as His people and that He may be your God just as He spoke to you and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I want to be your God. And I will be your God if you obey. Now, starting in verse 14, he gives them a warning. And even as we did discuss in Sunday school this morning, it, it's a warning that it, it isn't just a... It's not just a, uh, I'm going to try to scare you into doing this. This is a genuine warning, as we shall see, God willing, next week. And, and as we see it being fulfilled as you read through the book of Judges. God will keep His Word. This, is a, it, this isn't an idle threat. This isn't God saying to the people, if, if you... If, if, if you don't do what I tell you to do, then, then this is going to come down upon you when all along He never intends to do anything. It's like the parent who, who says to their child, if you don't get that room clean, you're not going to watch TV for a year. And the child's like, a year? Really? And the parent knows it's not going to be a year. Hopefully it's going to last two hours. But just to make it sound tough... I'll say a year. It's an idle threat. God, With God, it's no idle threat. You want to know my blessings? Be obedient. If you want to know the curses, be disobedient. And they will, as we looked at in weeks past, they will overtake you by and by, either His blessings or His curse. 
That, that's the covenant that they're renewing. Are they going to be obedient? Are they going to follow after God? I mean, pretend like you've never read the book of Joshua or Judges. And, and, and we just come to Deuteronomy 29, and, and that's where we are in history. And, and you're thinking to yourself, surely they're going to do it. Of course they're going to do it. Look how good God's been to them. And then somebody gives you, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. And they're not obedient. And they come to know the judgment of God. Because they don't have a heart towards God. And that leads me to say, just in closing, how thankful we ought to be for a better covenant. Because we're disobedient people. We've all sinned. And we deserve the curse of God. There's not a single individual in this place this morning who can say that I've been perfectly obedient to God. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And therefore deserve His curse. And rightfully so. We deserve to know God's anger. And it's a justice and a righteous anger that I, that I so much deserve. But with the new covenant, God sends someone to become a curse for us. And that someone is His only Son. And He sends His Son to earth. And His Son on the cross becomes sin for us, becomes a curse for us, that that one who knew no sin, in, in order that we might know the forgiveness of sin. And by faith, being united to His Son, Jesus Christ, God says, when that takes place, you know what? I'm going to take that heart of stone and I'm going to make it a heart of flesh. That you might know Me. It it no longer depends upon, if I do this, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. That's my only hope. And so the big difference, I just want you to quickly notice with me, go back, go back to Exodus chapter 19 with the Old Covenant. Exodus chapter 19. Again, listen to the wording. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples of all the earth, for all the earth is mine. I think I tried to emphasize a couple words there. Did you notice that? 
If you obey my covenant, then you shall be my own possession. Can't do it. So there's a new covenant. And I think, I'll have you go to Hebrews 8, which is our call to worship this morning. Hebrews 8, where the writer of Hebrews reviews the new covenant, which is set up in Jeremiah 30, 31. See if you notice some words that are missing here. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law into their minds. I will write them upon their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizens and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. No longer if and then. Now the language is because, therefore. Because I will do this. Therefore, they will be my people. What a better covenant. Don't let go of Christ. He's our only hope. He's our only hope. I, I, will, I will be their God. They will know me personally. They will worship me. They will love and obey and trust and serve me. I, I will give them a new heart. I will give them a new mind. Anyone who professes to know Jesus Christ, who walks in disobedience, has no heart to please Him, but are still living for themselves, have never entered into that covenant with God. Because God says, when you enter into this covenant with Me, through My Son Jesus Christ, I'll give you a new heart, a new life. You'll have a new purpose, a new goal. It's not perfect. We will fall. But we have a relationship with Him this morning, this morning, do you, do you have a, a relationship with God? And if so, how does that come about? Well, you know those Ten Commandments? I, I think I'm probably batting 70%. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's a passing grade. Oh, my friend, don't you realize those commandments only show you how sinful you are? You have no hope in and of yourself. But now by faith in Jesus Christ, I have a new heart. And His law is written on my mind. And, and, and there's this desire to please Him. I, I want to live according to those commandments. Not that I might have a relationship with Him, but I want to I be obedient because of His goodness and faithfulness to me. Isn't that the same response that Moses wanted to see in Israel? As you think about what Christ has done for you, my response is I want to be obedient to Him. 
I want to love Him. I want to serve Him. I want my life to be marked by a, a, a goal of glorifying God in all that I do. It, it's the same cycle that, that Paul sets down for us in the book of Romans. In, in the first part of Romans, what does he do? He reminds us of how sinful we are. That there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good. We are apart from God. And then he goes on and speaks about how we can be justified before God. How can guilty sinners ever be justified before God? And what does he do? He says, there's a righteousness you can have. It's not coming from the law, but it's coming in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. There's where you find redemption. There's where you can be justified. In Jesus Christ. So think about God's faithfulness. Think about God's power. Think about God's goodness. So what's the result? Romans 12.1 Therefore, brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of God to present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to Him. In light of God's faithfulness and power and goodness towards you, we ought to respond with obedience and love for Him. This is what God wants me to do. I want to be obedient to that. You see the cycle? And so there's times we we, we come to the Lord's table and we're reminded of what Christ has done for us to stir us up to be obedient people of God. You see that? And that's what Moses wanted for the children of Israel here in Deuteronomy 29. Think about God's goodness, how He's redeemed you out of Egypt, how He's provided for you, how He's given you clothing. Now be obedient to Him, and they couldn't do it. And in the New Covenant, God says, here's my Son. He'll become the curse for you, and in coming to Him, I'll give you clothing. I'll give you the white robe of righteousness. I'll provide for you. I'll care for you. I won't forsake you. And you're going to have a land one day where there'll be no more sin, no more darkness, no more pain, no more suffering. That's coming. And what's our response? I'll just live any way I want to. I'll do whatever I want to do. No. To be found obedient. And to follow Him day by day. <clears throat> well, may God help us to take heed and examine our own hearts. May it not be said of us, they've known all these things, they've experienced all these things, but you know what? They did not have a heart towards God. There could be some sitting among us who can recite the catechism, who know what's the second paragraph of the second chapter of the London Confession of Faith, what it says, you can know all, and yet still not have a heart for God. And my prayer is this morning that each one of us may know that we know Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. Christ alone. Let's pray. Now, Father, we pray that You would take Your Word and help us to rightly examine our own lives in light of that Word, to be obedient to that Word. Father, if there be some among us 
who yet do not know you, may today be the day of salvation. May they see that their good works or their experiences will not bring them into a relationship with God, but only being clothed in the righteousness which is not their own, the righteousness of Jesus Christ may, may bring them today to know you through your Son. May you grant unto them faith and repentance. <clears throat> As these things we do ask in Christ's name, amen. In closing, Hymns of Grace, number 69. Hymns of Grace, number 69. Day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. 69 Hymns of Grace. Let's stand together as we sing. together and this afternoon Michael will be
going back to his series, Behold Our God, speaking about the immutability, if I remember correctly, the immutability of God this afternoon. You are dismissed. <clears throat>